0: Welcome back to the fifth edition of On the Horizon, Navigating the European and African Theatres. Tune in as Admiral Fogo and I look to discuss the U.S. Navy highlights from 2018, the great power competition with Russia's resurgence in Europe, and China's growing influence in Africa. In addition, we will talk about dynamic force employment and a recent conference hosted by Naval Forces Africa. Admiral Fogo, great to see you again, and happy holidays. Hey, thank you very much, Lieutenant Dixon. Good to see you again. Well, sir, we appreciate you taking the time to join us today during this busy holiday season for our final podcast of 2018. My pleasure. Looking forward to another great conversation. And thank you, sir. I'd like to start with discussing the highlights from this year. Can you go over the accomplishments and challenges of Naval Forces Europe and Africa?
1: I'd be delighted. This has been a great year uh, for Naval Forces Europe and Africa. And I think there's been a significant number of accomplishments thanks to the uh, professional sailors that uh, run this organization day in, day out. Uh, first and foremost, uh, Trident Juncture, largest exercise since the end of the Cold War and our first ever dynamic force employment with USS Harry S. Truman. As you know, I discussed this last time. That was kind of a brainchild of the Secretary of Defense and embraced by the Secretary of the Navy and the CNO. Uh, in a concept identified in our national defense strategy as a response to a return to great power competition. So, uh, you know, every day in this theater, we operate from the North Pole uh, to the Cape of Good Hope in South Africa, and from about mid-Atlantic region uh, all the way out to the shores of Crimea and the Black Sea. That's a pretty vast uh, sea line of communication and connectivity, and uh, our people do it extremely well. Last year, (coughs) we conducted uh, 70 major exercises across the European and African theater. And these are all designed to provide reassurance and deter aggression of any violent extremist organizations or any potential adversary that challenges us. So uh, if I do a quick overview of the security environment, I think uh, it's pretty obvious that we've faced a resurgent Russia in the last couple of years, which is becoming more and more aggressive each day. And I'll talk about that when we discuss the current events that are ongoing in the Sea of Azov. We also see uh, China as a rising power and gaining influence through uh, their One Belt, One Road initiative in the theater of Europe and Africa. And as long as that's a peaceful rise,
0: that's okay. Um, But there are some things there that uh, cause me pause. And, sir, if I may, you and Dr. Fritz wrote an article about these challenges in Europe. Earlier this year,
1: Dr. Alaric Fritz from the Center for Naval Analysis and I wrote an article entitled uh, NATO and the Challenge in the North Atlantic and the Arctic. Uh, The article was a follow-up to uh, a piece that we wrote and published in Proceedings in 2016 called The Fourth Battle of the Atlantic. And uh, the fourth battle was really a call to arms to address the threats we face in this region of the world, primarily in the undersea domain. And the latest article, The Challenge in the North Atlantic and the Arctic, uh, is how the United States and NATO are answering this call to arms that we raised in uh, 2016. The last piece was published in the Whitehall Papers by the Royal United Services Institute.
0: So your article discusses Russia's resurgence in and around Europe. What actions are you seeing Russia take to your point of being a resurgent power?
1: Russia's really renewed its capabilities in the North Atlantic and the Arctic in places not seen since the Cold War. For example, uh, my Norwegian friends remind me that they've reoccupied seven of their former Soviet Union bases in the Arctic Circle. It improves Russia's capability to project power up there into the crucial strategic routes from the Arctic into the North Atlantic in the Greenland, Iceland, UK grab. Russian submarines are uh, out there and operating today in numbers that we haven't seen before. Missiles from those submarines and coastal defense systems and long-range aircraft and other delivery mechanisms can reach any of the capitals of Europe from places uh, like the Caspian Sea, the Baltic Sea, the Mediterranean Sea, and the Black Sea. And uh, that is of concern to me, and I know it's of concern to many of my European contemporaries. So not only have Russia's actions and capabilities increased in uh, kind of alarming ways. Uh, its national security policy is aimed at challenging the United States and NATO in uh, bifurcating the alliance and our traditional partners. The potential there for miscalculation can't be ignored. Uh, we're stronger together and we've got to stick together in order to push back against that, that aggression.
0: And so that perfectly goes into our next segment about miscalculation in our region. Specifically, Russia's recent activities having become more and more aggressive with the most recent incident involving the Sea of Azov.
1: Yeah, it's very unfortunate what transpired in the Sea of Azov. There was uh, formally an agreement between uh, Russia and Ukraine on the uh, peaceful use of the Sea of Azov and commerce in the Sea of Azov. That kind of went out the window a couple weeks ago when we saw the Russians block the Sea of Azov. They have slowed traffic down for Ukrainian shipping coming through the Kerch Straits and uh, into the Sea of Azov and out of the Sea of Azov and into the port, the Ukrainian port of Mariupol. This is costing the Ukrainians uh, in terms of uh, resources and income every year. It's just not right. It came to a head a couple of weeks ago when uh, three vessels, Ukrainian vessels, sailed through the Kerch Straits. They were uh, challenged by the Russians unfairly and illegally, and uh, the Russians had blocked the Sea of Azov. When the uh, Ukrainians made their way through, uh, they were told to uh, heal to. They did not, and so the Russians fired on their ships, ultimately seized uh, these three vessels, a tug and two patrol craft, and their crews. And uh, those crews are now being detained and uh, have been moved to Moscow for detention and for trial. And Admiral,
0: what bothers you about this? Why should we, the U.S. Navy, care?
1: And what bothers me is these are sailors and officers and chiefs that wear a uniform just like you and me. They're in the Navy, but they're being treated like pirates or common criminals. That's not right. That's not in accordance with the Geneva Convention, and they should be released immediately. Uh, In total, Russians' actions to impede maritime transit in a place like the Sea of Azov undermines and destabilizes the Ukraine as well as ignores international norms. It's just not the uh, type of behavior that you would expect from uh, a rising power or a resurgent power that wants to be a responsible player in the international domain. So I urge uh, restraint on the part of both parties and I'd urge the Russians to release those sailors
0: and get them back home. So to recap, we have outlined some of the aggressive behavior of Russia and outlined the various threats we face in our theater. How is the U.S. Navy and NATO responding to this? Well, like I said, uh, after that call
1: to arms in the Fourth Battle of the Atlantic article in 2016, I think the United States and NATO are answering that call to arms. NATO countries are spending a larger percent of their nation's gross domestic product on defense. Last time I checked at the time of uh, Trident Juncture, I think overall spending in the alliance had gone up, and uh, that's good. Most of the Allies are on a glide path to get to 2% of spending by the year 2024. On the U.S. side, we're in the game too. We've reestablished the second fleet, and we have taken on the responsibility of establishing a new Joint Force Command in Norfolk, Virginia. That's a NATO command. Both these commands are essential for security across the Atlantic and in Europe. And even down south in Africa, as you know, we've stood up the NATO Strategic Direction South hub for Africa and the Middle East to help with development, rule of law, governance, and stability.
0: For our next segment, Dynamic Force Employment, or DFE, is one of the big ways the U.S. military is addressing the great power competition. How has Naval Forces Europe and Africa implemented this policy?
1: Well, Lieutenant Dixon, I think the National Defense Strategy makes pretty clear that the central challenge to U.S. security is the return of great power competition, specifically uh, with regards to a resurgent Russia and a rising China. So the security environment requires us to change the way we operate forward. The Secretary of Defense's concept for US forces causes us to be more unpredictable. That's what dynamic force employment is all about. And as the sailors assigned to this region adapt to all these changing challenges, they can be proud of the trails they blazed being the first to, in my humble estimation,
0: successfully deploy dynamic force employment in the Sixth Fleet area of operations. And Admiral, can you give us an example of where DfE was implemented and was successful? I'll give you uh, the best example and the first example.
1: That is the implementation of Harry S. Truman Carrier Strike Group's unpredictable deployment to the CNE CNA, AOR in the start of this year. The strike group uh, success is no surprise. Very professional sailors on board that ship and the associated direct support that operated with it. They were originally not scheduled to be in the European theater for the entire deployment. We had other plans. But because of dynamic force employment, they came here. They immediately proceeded to the eastern Mediterranean and conducted strike missions in support of Operation Inherent Resolve. And then they moved to the Adriatic. And this was interesting because it was a move coincident with Vice Admiral Franchetti's Command of Baltops 2018 in the Baltic Sea. So the uh, Harrius Truman, to my knowledge, is the first carrier to participate in a Baltops operation with air power from the Adriatic. So that was the first time ever. They then returned to the United States for about a month. I don't think anybody, let alone the Russians, expected that. And that kind of put them back on their heels. In fact, we were starting to see some uh, articles in russian media about the carrier heading back into the mediterranean but she didn't go there she went up north she went to the arctic circle and it was our intent at that time to uh, put her into the trident juncture LiveX exercise and she was a force multiplier uh, this is the first time that uh, we've operated north of the arctic circle with a carrier uh, that high up in latitude since the end of the cold war I think that she proved through dynamic force employment that she can be strategically predictable but operationally unpredictable. And so it's important to mention that while we remain unpredictable to our adversaries, there's a clear signal here to our allies and our partners that we're there for them. So uh, this is an excellent example of what dynamic force employment is all about.
0: And sir, before we move on, for our, our audience, can you recap what Exercise Trident Juncture was all about? And how big exactly was this exercise?
1: It's an Article 5 exercise. That is the key element of the Washington Charter uh, that established NATO in 1949, an attack on one is an attack on all. And we had an exercise scenario uh, where the sovereignty of one of our close allies, Norway, had been violated, and we went to their defense to push the adversary out. What that meant was uh, an incredible number of personnel, 50,000 soldiers, sailors, airmen, and Marines, 250 aircraft, 70 ships, and 10,000 vehicles, track vehicles, rolling vehicles, heavy equipment transporters, portable bridges. Overall, we delivered uh, seven brigades in about 30 days. So this really uh, underscores the importance of logistics. And in my mind, logistics has become the sixth domain of warfare. So you've got the air, the land, the sea, cyberspace, and now logistics, the Achilles heel of any joint force. And I think we demonstrated that.
0: How did the U.S. Navy and Marine Corps support the exercise?
1: Very proud of the U.S. Navy participation in Trident Juncture, notwithstanding uh, USS Harry S. Truman Strike Group, USS Iwo Jima Expeditionary Strike Group and all of her direct and associated support. The 2nd uh, Marine Expeditionary Force from Camp Lejeune, on the heels of Hurricane Florence, those guys were heroes. I mean. They basically went through that storm that wiped out a lot of their uh, infrastructure and housing on base, got on the ships and came over and did the exercise with a plum. We had uh, about 140 aircraft, 8 ships and 900 vehicles under the US flag and it was uh, essential to the success
0: of Trident Juncture and I thanked them for that. And so are there any other events that happened in 2018 that you would like to highlight?
1: Yeah, too many to mention in the podcast but I'll, I'll give you uh, some of the really important ones. You know, in April, our sailors and marines allowed the United States, British, and French allies to uh, send a very strong message to the Assad regime in Syria for, once again, using chemical weapons on innocent civilians. USS John Warner launched a salvo of tomahawks from the Mediterranean. We picked our targets very carefully, and we destroyed infrastructure to send that message to the Assad regime, and I think it was received loud and clear. Make no mistake about it, we stand ready to do it again. If required. In October of this year, this is interesting, uh, some of the air crewmen assigned to the Tridents of Patrol Squadron 26 down in Sigonella, these are the uh, P 8 aircraft, uh, Marine Patrol aircraft, completed their first operational aerial refueling flight in the Sixth Fleet area of operations. So that's significant because it gives us uh, extra legs and extra time airborne in the event of a crisis, in that we would have to stay up and uh, either conduct surveillance operations or the primary mission of that aircraft is to go after enemy submarines, find them and sink them. And so I was pretty happy about that. Our four forward deployed uh, naval service guided missile destroyers in Rota uh, continued their routine patrols throughout the theater. Uh, They're in the Black Sea, they're along the north coast of Africa, they're up in the Baltic, Uh, they're out in the approaches to the Mediterranean, both inside and outside uh, the Strait of Gibraltar and just doing a fantastic job and a force multiplier for us. So that's just a few of the highlights. I could go on, but I'll, I'll stop there and uh, thank all of those uh, sailors, uh, military seal of command personnel, uh, U.S. Marines and CVs and uh, aviators for all the great work they did in
0: 2018, and I'm looking forward to 2019. Well, sir, thank you for that year in review and discussing with us all that the U.S. Navy is doing here in Europe and Africa. Earlier, we started to discuss China's influence and growth in Europe and Africa. Focusing in on Africa, I'd like to discuss China and its efforts to gain influence. What type of activity are you seeing, and are there any concerns?
1: Yeah, China established their uh, first overseas base in the Horn of Africa in the country of Djibouti near uh, our Camp Lemonnier. We've been there in the Horn of Africa for a very long time. and. Uh, This is the only permanent U.S. military installation in Africa. And so they have established a base in Djibouti not far from ours. Uh, China is using its economic influence to advance its security interests throughout the region. And in 2015, the Chinese were the second largest arms provider to Africa, behind only Russia.
0: And, sir, on that point, what are we doing to address those security concerns?
1: Yeah, um, well, I think it's important for us... To attempt to coexist and create a peaceful rise uh, with the Chinese in this theater. The ball is in their court to determine whether or not they are willing and uh, able to do that. Uh, what we're doing is we're maintaining our traditional partnerships, friendships, and alliances with uh, African countries. And what we do here at Naval Forces Africa is focus on the maritime domain. So just uh, last week, uh, we conducted a Maritime Commanders Conference here in Naples. And it's the first one we've done since 2015. Mm -hmm. I did it last time when I was 6th Fleet Commander. I found it very rewarding. And uh, as you saw earlier this week, the National Security Council and the White House released its Africa Strategy. I'm pretty excited about that because it underscores the importance of what we have been doing in the maritime domain since 2010 and that was my first tour here from the uh, africa partnership station to our signature series express exercises we do cutlass express in eastern africa we do phoenix express in north africa and we do obengami express in west africa and the gulf of guinea we've been doing that for a very long time and i think it's clear that uh the navy is uh moving well along the strategy that was articulated this past week, the New Africa Strategy, in our support for
0: African navies. And now sir, what progress did you see in 2018 for both the US Navy and our African partners?
1: In 2018 uh, we were very active uh, in the maritime domain of the African continent. Uh, Our exercises and engagements helped our African partners increase their maritime security, their maritime domain awareness, and uh, the development of their navies, their coast guards, and military institutions, including uh, war colleges. They stood up a new war college in uh, the country of Nigeria. Prior to the uh, SIFMIC course, the Combined Force Maritime Component Commanders course, we held uh, something called a MISWIG, Maritime Security Working Group here in Naples. Uh, we had uh, representatives from U.S. embassies, uh, U.S. State Department, African militaries, Euro-Atlantic reps, people from, uh, from Europe that are interested in security on the African continent. And uh, we were looking for any gaps in security force assistance. What, it, what is it that uh, our African partners need? And we gave them an opportunity to tell us that and to compile uh, a
0: list of things that we could do to help them. And so, going back to the CIFMIC held this December, what can you tell us about the conference and what is the way forward?
1: So, the CIFMIC course in uh, December brought everybody together uh, to talk about uh, shared experiences and look for innovative solutions to the challenges in the maritime. You know, when I was here in 2015, we talked about uh, sea blindness uh, along the coast of Africa. We don't talk about that anymore. I think everybody's pretty much aware how important maritime security is. And uh, it's so important that we actually had the combatant commander, General Thomas Waldhauser, come down from Stuttgart for the day and meet with all these African leaders, as well as uh, the U.S. Ambassador to the African Union, Ambassador Mary Beth Leonard. We had 16 African nations present and 9 European nations and 2 North American nations and 1 South American nation. So of the uh, 55 countries in Africa, Um, I don't know that you know this, but uh, 38 actually have a coastline, and so maritime domain plays a key role in the overall security and stability of the continent. Immediately following the course, we held a uh, seminar on security force assistance, a round table in which uh, European navies and, and the African navies that were interested attended, and we discussed their needs and what we might be able to do about it in 2019.
0: And so what was the final product of the conference and the seminar?
1: So the, uh, the final product from the conference and the security force assistance Roundtable was what's our blueprint? What's our roadmap for 2019? How are we going to meld this series of exercises and uh, uh, relationships and uh, uh, engagements on the continent with uh, ship visits and uh, requirements? to assist the African nations to become better at maintaining their own security. And so I'm looking forward uh, to continued engagement in the Gulf of Guinea, continued engagement off the coast of North Africa, and uh, I'll be in the uh, area for the beginning of uh, the Cutlass
0: Express exercise early in the year when we kick that off in East Africa. As we bring this podcast to a close, Admiral, do you have any final thoughts on
1: 2018? I think, you know, one of the things that, uh, that strikes me is the fact that the maritime is becoming more and more important in the 21st century, and we see that every year as we evolve and we see other, other nations making capital investments in uh, ships, not just container ships but warships, and not just warships that float on the surface of the ocean but submarines which uh, carry their own form of uh, weapon systems and lethality. And so we've got to be very cognizant of that. You know, i got a a reading list that I update and uh, vary from time to time, but one of my favorite authors is Robert Kaplan. He's got a book called Asia's Cauldron, and in that book he says that uh, this is not just the maritime decade, it's the maritime century. He's not just talking about the Pacific. He's talking about bodies of water everywhere, the importance of the maritime, uh, the importance of... Uh, the receding polar ice cap, is more maritime traffic and more warship traffic occurs up north of the Arctic Circle, uh, the importance of the approaches to choke points, Straits of Gibraltar and the Suez Canal, uh, the importance of sea lines of communication. So, navies are important, and maritime security is important to commerce and prosperity, uh, and that's important to all of us. So, uh, I look forward to another Rewarding year in 2019, thanks to the men and women of the United States Naval Forces Europe and Africa, and uh, I am very proud of their contribution to everything that we're doing here in this theater. And uh, as the holiday season is uh, upon us now, I hope that uh, everyone will have a little time with their families uh, to get a little R and R and take a break and reset, because it's going to be a busy year in 2019, just like it was in 2018. And that goes for you too, Lieutenant Dixon. I hope you have a
0: good holiday. Thank you, sir, for the overview of 2018, the discussion on the accomplishments and challenges we face here in Europe and Africa. And as always, thank you for your time today. I hope you have a Merry Christmas and a great New Year. Is there anything else you'd like to add? be Army. <laughs> thank you for listening to our fifth podcast as we continue the conversation about what has happened and what is on the horizon for Naval Forces Europe and Africa. The podcast is available on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Spreaker. Please share this podcast with your friends and family. And from our U.S. Navy family to yours, happy holidays. Until next time.